Good morning, how are we doing? Yeah, yeah, all right, little ones, you guys can gather here. If you guys have kids, we've got some of them that are at Camp Kids Life this week, but we've got some that are still here. You guys are gonna go with Ophelia and go downstairs. Give it up for our little ones. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Ben, thanks for leading us, Ben. Awesome job, it's the Ben Day, double Ben's today. Uh, do we have any graduating seniors? I know that we have some folks that are graduating, not you, Tom. Uh, I know that we have some folks that are graduating from college or high school. Anybody in the room that is graduating from high school or college right now? No? We got to, I see people pointing at other people, but I don't see anybody brave enough to raise their hand. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and, here, uh, there we go. I'm going to go ahead and pray for graduating seniors. And if you're not brave enough to raise your hand, you're still getting prayed for, all right? Uh, because I think we have some shy graduating. You should be proud that you're graduating, right? High school is awful and college is better, right? You should be proud, all right? Let's pray for our, for our graduates. Father, we just thank you for the way that you stir us into seasons and we thank you for new seasons. And so I thank you for every graduate that is a part of our church. I know there's many that are a part of, that are graduating from college or high school and stepping into a new season. And, and Lord, we just pray that your favor would rest on them in this next season, that you would go with them, that you would equip them, empower them. I pray for our high school seniors that they would be taking the gospel that they've learned here at Grace Marietta to their college campuses, to their workplaces, uh, and, and, and becoming missionaries in that place. And I pray for our college graduates that they would be taking you into the workplace with them. And so, Father, we just thank you for the way that you move, the way that you work, and we thank you for this next season for all of our graduates. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Give it up for our shy graduates. Well done. Well done, everyone. Uh, I, uh, I had a really great day yesterday. We've been, we've been doing this series called This is Church, and there's times when you just see a picture of the church, and it's beautiful. Are you with me? Um, there's times when you just kind of are in a moment, and you don't recognize it as a holy moment until it's past or until something's happened, and you recognize, wait a minute, that was kind of a holy moment. Um, sometimes you kind of think that the church is just like us gathered together on Sunday morning worshiping and preaching, uh, or that the church is this building here on Holt Road, or that the church is the church staff that gathers together, or the songs that we sing, or those kinds of things. But then there's these other moments when you recognize that the church is actually the people of God living out their faith in their everyday life. That the church is actually happening all around us all the time, and that there's these beautiful holy moments that we walk into when we say, wait a minute, I didn't hear a sermon, and I didn't sing a worship song, but I think that was church. Are you with me? So yesterday, I got up at 6 a.m., which is my favorite thing to do on a Saturday, and uh, I drove over here to church because my daughter was going to Camp Kids Life. We sent, I think, about 10 little girls and one brave little boy who was completely confident that he was with 10 little girls. Uh, I, I like much, it was Silas T. Well done, Silas. He was not afraid at all that it was him and all the girls in the van. He was actually, I think, enjoying it. Uh, so we sent these 10 little ones off to camp, and, and something beautiful happened. I just, we pulled in here and um, as we pulled into the church, my daughter got out of the car and all these little ones were just running to her and hugging her and they all had their arms around each other. And there was this like Christmas morning anticipation of camp, 
You know what I'm saying? Like there was just this excitement that we're going to camp and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And Meredith looking, looked exhausted already. Uh, so we need to pray for her. They're wrapping up now. Uh, but they all took off to camp. And as I was driving off, I was just thinking like, that is a beautiful picture of the church. It's, these, it's us sending our little girls off to hear about Jesus. And it's these relationships that are being built between these little ones who right now are in third and fourth and second and fifth grade, but eventually are gonna be the ones that we're praying for that are graduating and that we're sending out. And it's this beautiful picture of what the church is. My son had a basketball tournament in Snellville yesterday. Um, one of my favorite things to do also is to drive to Snellville um, in, in Atlanta traffic. And so after we dropped the little ones off, we drove over to Snellville and uh, we were playing in a tournament there and uh, played the first game and uh, we lost. We were up by seven with a minute 30 left and somehow lost by five, um, which is a little painful. They went on a 12-0 run to end the game. Um, and that was a team that wasn't as good as us. Um, but anyway, we, we, we played this game in Snellville and I, I help, I coach and do some of those things. And, and, uh, and I look up in the stands and there's a friend of ours sitting in the stands watching the game, friend from church. And he, he grabs us after the game and is like, hey, let's go to lunch. I want to buy you guys lunch. I'm here all day to watch Caden play basketball. And he took us out to lunch. And as we sat at lunch, he prayed for me and he prayed for Caden. And he encouraged my son, even though my son played terrible, but don't tell him that. Right? He's not here because he's playing in a game right now. But don't tell him that he played bad. But he had a rough day yesterday. Right? But even though he had a rough day, there was lots of encouragement, lots of prayers for him. And, just, and I'm sitting there in this moment and I'm thinking like, this is the church. This is a guy who loves me and my family so much that he's going to Snellville <laughs> to watch 14-year-old basketball all day, which sometimes is enjoyable, but sometimes it's pretty rough, right? And, and, and is there for us. Then last night, uh, a group of us got together. Some friends of ours had their 10th anniversary and we had a dinner together on their 10th anniversary and we kind of had this amazing meal with a bunch of friends. And, and, and at, at, at the end of the meal, they said, hey, we wanna, we wanna recommit our vows to one another. We wanna re-say our vows to one another. And in front of like all of our friends sitting there at this great table where we've laughed and joked and had fun all night, they stood and, or they sat and read their vows to one another and it was, everybody's crying and everybody's filming it on their cameras and it was this beautiful, beautiful moment. And in those, each of those moments, I just thought, those are holy moments, right? Like that's, that's the church. The church is our relationships. The church is us loving one another and loving the world. The church is us reaching beyond ourselves and into the community and becoming the people that God has called us to be. And sometimes we can quantify whether the church is successful by how many people are seated here on Sunday mornings. I want to say I would much rather quantify it by how many people are having holy moments like that throughout the week. Are we loving each other enough to watch 14-year-old basketball? Are we building relationships with one another that is so deep that our kids hug each other and love each other and want to be with each other? Are we building relationships that say, I want to recommit my vows to my spouse, but I want my best friends to be there with me? Are we loving the world enough that we're actually becoming the church of Jesus Christ and not just a production company that meets on Sunday mornings to do some good shows? Because to be truthful, I'm exhausted with the show. 
I want us to gather here every Sunday, and believe me, I want it to go well. I do. I, like, I, I, I want this to go well when we're together, but I want this to go well so that we're equipped to go out. I want Sundays to be the place where we gather together so that we can plan those holy moments throughout the rest of the week. I want us to gather and scatter. I want us to be together on Sunday and worship together and, and have fun and celebrate and this be a great moment. And I'd love the room to be full. I'm happy with that, right? But I want more. I want these holy moments happening throughout the week. So we've been talking about the church over the past few weeks and we've been looking at Ephesians chapter four and breaking down the five-fold ministry that's represented in uh, Ephesians chapter four. And so today I wanna talk about evangelists. Um, and let's, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, it says, So Christ gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. And he did this to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, so that we may reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here, here, here's what it's saying. Jesus has given everybody a gift, one of these five-fold gifts. Every single one of us are either an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. And what he's asking us to do is to bring that gift to the church so that we love well, so that we serve well. He goes on to say, if, if some of these gifts are missing in the church, then it's like we're missing an arm. It's like we're missing a leg. It's like we're missing our eyes. We need all of these gifts together so that we become the church. We need these holy moments happening everywhere. So we need our apostles to be dreaming and planning and thinking about the future. We need our prophets to be hearing from God and discerning what he's saying. We need our evangelists to be reaching out to the community and calling us to not become a holy huddle that sits here every Sunday, but a community that goes. We need our pastors to love and to shepherd and to care for us and to teach us to love as Jesus would love, and then we need our teachers to train us and equip us and clarify difficult situations and challenging words so that we know what God is saying and what he's doing. And when one of those pieces is missing, the church is not the church. When one of those parts is absent, we have not become the fullness of, of, of Christ, right? We, we've not become mature. We're not unified. We're just kind of all going in our different directions, doing our different things. So what Paul is saying here to the church in Ephesus is we need you. We need everybody. We need you to be fully alive, operating in your giftedness. And this is not a scam for us to get more volunteers, Right? This is not a trick for us to get more people helping with the kids. It's not, a, it's, it's not that kind of thing. It's saying, if we want to become the church of Jesus, then we have to start acting like Jesus. Because the only person who represented all five of those gifts perfectly was Jesus. That's it. There's nobody else that's ever walked the earth that has perfectly embodied all of those pieces. Jesus is the example for us to follow. He is the picture of what God looks like. If there was a puzzle, and on that puzzle was a picture of what God looked like, the picture would be of Jesus. It would say, this is the picture that we follow. This is, this, this is where we look to grow. If we're going to become the people of God, then we have to become like Jesus. So in our culture right now, there is this kind of new trend, particularly in the business world. There's a guy named Marcus Buckingham who's written a lot of books about strengths. How many of you guys have read some of those books? 
Now discover your strengths, strength finder, all those kinds of things. Anybody with me? Some of it, yeah. It's a great thing. I, I've, I've done the test. I've, I think I've read all the books or at least most of the books. I think sometimes an author writes one book and then they try, try to write five more that are the same book. Uh, so I typically read the first one. Uh, but I, but, I, but I've, read, I, I've read a lot of the stuff. And, and here's the principle that, he, that he's teaching is that there is one thing that each of us do that actually pays the bills. Like there is one thing that is your strength that actually is the reason why you have the job that you have. It's why, you, it's why people pay you to do what you do. It's why you're able to do the things that you do. And so what he says is focus all your energy on that strength. Whatever it is that you do well, focus all your attention on that. And he says sometimes what we do is we get caught up in like working on our weaknesses. And he says, I don't want you to work on your weaknesses. I want you to work on your strength. Now, there's some good in that. I, 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 will, I will acknowledge there's some truth in like working hard in your strength. There's some truth in there is in inside of each of us a contribution that only you can make. Does that make sense? There is something that only you can do for the company that you work for. There's something that only you can bring to the church every single week. There's something that only you can do to accomplish the work that you're supposed to accomplish. But inside of this, our goal as followers of Christ is not just to pick out one of these and say, well, I'm not working on the rest of these. All right, so I cannot say I'm an apostle so I don't have to pastor people. I'm, not, I'm actually, my name is the pastor. I'm not allowed to do that, right? I'm actually the pastor, that, right? So I'm not allowed to do that, those kinds of things. We're not allowed to say, like, I'm just a teacher, so I'm not gonna worry about evangelism. I'm gonna leave that up to some other people. So here's what happens. Each of us have a base gifting, but we have a phase lifestyle. Does that make sense? So there is a base that I live in. So for me, my base gifting is an apostle, I love to cast vision. I love to talk about the future. I love to think and dream about what's next. That's what makes my heart stir and what gets me excited. When I take the test, as many of you have taken this five-fold test, when I take it, guess what's last on mine? Pastor. But here's the thing. I actually am the pastor, and I have to pastor and shepherd people every single week. So there's not a week that goes by where I don't get a phone call from somebody that is in need and needs me to sit with them and pray with them. There's not a week that goes by where I don't have to sit and love and care for somebody and, sh and shepherd them through a difficult season or a difficult challenge. I don't get to opt out of pastoring because I'm an apostle. Does that make sense? I don't get to say, well, apostle's my strength, so I'm just gonna sit in, a, in, in my office over here and dream about the future of the church and let other people deal with all this stuff. What we do is we want to become fully mature, and becoming fully mature means that we step into all five of these things. So you may have a base gifting that is like, this is your sweet spot. It's easy for you. It makes sense for you. It's not hard for you. And you may have other areas of your life where it's more challenging. It's much more challenging for me. I'm going to be truthful with you guys. It's much more challenging for me to visit you in the hospital than it is for me to sit down and dream about the business that you're starting. Right? I'm just not, I, like, I don't know what to say at the hospital. I, God's, I, Psalm 23, I can read that. Right? I got, I, like, I'm not exactly sure what to, I, I just, I, my wife says I lack empathy sometimes. I think it's probably true. Um, this 
line of conversation that we're having right now might be proof of that, right? I, I think sometimes that happens, and so, but I, we don't get to opt out of that stuff, and I'm not just talking about me as the pastor, I'm talking about all of us. So sometimes what we do is we take these kind of strength finder, these Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram, all of those things, and then we use it, we use it as, as an excuse for bad behavior. Well, I'm just an Enneagram 3, so I don't have to do that. I'm a D, so I don't do that, right? No, that's not, that's, that's not an excuse. What these tools are is they're helping us name things. They're helping us discern what's going on. And so what's happened around evangelism is there is a confusing methodology around evangelism in our culture. Can we acknowledge that? What, what's happened is many of us have seen evangelism done so poorly that we've decided I'm not an evangelist and I'm sitting this one out. Now, let's leave that for the really brave people that love to talk to people, right? I'm going to sit this one out. Because the truth is, we have seen evangelism done poorly. The Greek word of evangelism, you know what it actually means? It actually means good news. It actually is the carrying of the good news of the message of Christ. So I want to go through some ways that we get evangelism wrong, and I want to do it through my own kind of story and kind of how I've tried to discover how to do all of these things through 25 years of ministry. So the, the first thing is evangelism is, the first way we get it wrong is evangelism is not winning the argument. Um, sometimes what we do is we imagine that evangelism is all about apologetics, and so all I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get people to mentally ascend to what I believe. And so they believe this, and I've got to train them or teach them or talk to them or persuade them to believe something else. And so evangelism then becomes kind of um, rote and combative, and it becomes a little bit of like a, of, of an intellectual battle. Uh, so I, when I was a kid, I, I really, I, I have a heart for lost people. I always have. I, I, I've always wanted my friends to know Jesus. And, and I was playing um, AAU basketball at the time, and all, there was not a single guy on my team that, wasn't a, that was a Christian. So I was the only Christian on the team, and I loved my team. I had played with them for three or four years. I'd traveled all over the country to go to different places to play basketball with them. I'd done lots of things with them, and I wanted all of them to know Jesus. I just had no idea how to tell them about Jesus. Does that make sense? And so I went to this seminar, which is when you're 17, seminars are usually not great ideas. Right, but I, I went to this seminar, and, and in this seminar, they taught me how to share my faith almost the same way they teach a telemarketer how to make a phone call. Are you with me? Has anybody experienced this kind of evangelism training? And I went through the whole thing, and I'll be honest, at the end of it, it felt a little slimy. It felt like there was like certain questions I was supposed to ask. If you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Which is a weird thing to ask your friend as you're playing basketball. Right? Like, uh, there, it was like, uh, there was like a script that I was supposed to follow. They actually told me I needed to wear a shirt and tie, which would have been really weird with my basketball team, right? Uh, I, so there was all this kind of weird stuff, and I got done with that, and I just felt like I don't know that winning the argument is the way that I share my faith with my friends. So then I, uh, I, I ran into the second way that we kind of don't do well, and that is coercive. What, what did I call it? Coercive evangelism. Coercive evangelism um, is kind of the guy with the bullhorn, 
Uh, I, I was walking in an airport just a few weeks ago. I was traveling somewhere, and, and as I was walking through the airport, this guy came up to me and handed me one of those tracks, and I'll be honest, I kind of rolled my eyes immediately, and he said, he, a, he asked me one of the questions, I don't remember which one it was, but if you die tonight, do you know what you're in? And I was like, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, I'm good, man. Tell me what you're doing here. And, and his next question was, well, how do you know you're going to heaven? And I was like, no, I'm good, bud. Like, uh, it's all right. Like, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, me and Jesus, we're tight. Like, I got, uh, I got this. Like, I'm, I actually talk about this stuff. I'm, we're good. And, and he would not have a conversation with me. So I was trying to just, like, meet him as a human in that place and, like, say, like, how's your day? What's going on? Where are you traveling to? Sounds like you know Jesus. That means we're brothers in Christ. What's happening? And he was like, he could not get off of his script of like this coercive kind of thing. And so it became this kind of like, I don't know how to talk to you even because I don't think, I think you're a robot, right? Like I don't, I don't know what you're doing here because I'm trying to talk to you like a human being and you're reading off the script that you have and are unable to, and, and then he got irritated with me. He was like, well, if you're a pastor, then you should be able to tell me how you're going to heaven. And I was like, bro, I don't need to tell you anything. <laughs> like, like, I'm good. Like, it sounds like you're good. Let's just give each other a high five and walk away, right? Because like, it doesn't feel like we're going to be friends right now. And, and the guy just started getting heated with me. And so finally, I just said, hey, God bless you, bud, and just walked off. But it's this kind of coercive and controlling, like I've got to push, right? And there's something about this that feels holy, right? It feels like I've got to push because i got to proclaim the truth, right? The gospel tells us to be proclaimers of the gospel. And so I've got to proclaim the truth. I've got to proclaim the good news. I've got to speak the good news. And there's something brave about, oh, I actually have tons of respect for the people that hold that bullhorn and shout. I don't, I don't agree with 95% of what they say, but I have respect that they have the courage to actually do it, right? I'd love for a bullhorn guy to stand out there and talk about grace. We just don't hear that very often, right? Here's the third challenge. The third challenge is kind of the opposite side of the coin, and it is evangelism by osmosis. This is what I tried next. This is what I thought would work next. Um, so when I was growing up, it was called friendship evangelism. Anybody, anybody have some experience with friendship evangelism? There's a quote that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, um, which I've heard, I've heard it quoted back that if St. Francis of Assisi really said this, then he's a sissy. Uh, and the quote is, Preach the gospel and sometimes use words. It wasn't actually said by St. Francis of Assisi, so let's let him off the hook. It was, I don't know where it came from, but for some reason he's gotten hooked to it. Um, but anyway, it's this idea of, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna hang out with my basketball team and I'm gonna roll with them each week and I'm just gonna be kind and I'm just gonna be nice and somehow they're gonna know Jesus because of that. Like, I don't actually have to talk about Jesus I don't actually have to share anything about my life or my experiences or my faith or any kind of good news. If I'm just with them, then osmosis is going to happen and evangelism is going to happen in that space. And can I just be honest with you guys? I think all three of those things don't work. Can I just suggest that rather than friendship evangelism, could we just try friendship? Maybe just friendship. 
without some kind of coercive or controlling kind of outcome on the back end of it, but I'm going to simply love you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to simply meet you where you are. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you, but I'm also going to use words. So what happens is we have these two polarized views of evangelism. One is that evangelism is only proclamation. Right? It's only like the bullhorn, it's only truth, it's only the word of God preached boldly, it's only us kind of coercive and controlling, shouting down people. The other is, if I just hang out with people and am kind to them, then osmosis evangelism is going to happen and suddenly they're going to become followers of Christ. And can I suggest that both of those are jacked up visions of evangelism? Because what we do in the church is we create either ors when we need to create both ands. Evangelism is both proclamation and presence. Because if you only have proclamations without presence, what you get is you get strong arm evangelism. There's no relationship connected to it. It just feels like you're kind of doing something slimy to me. It doesn't feel like you really love me. It just feels like you want me to cross a line for you. It just feels like there's not something happening where you're actually invested in me as a human and wanting a relationship with me. It sounds like you're working your script. And so it becomes this strong-armed kind of evangelism. If we only use presence, then we have this osmosis evangelism. And then can I just be truthful that I think a lot of us land in this grid where there is no proclamation or presence. And what we do is we go to church. So, how many of you grew up in a church where the greatest proof of your faith was if you would invite someone to church? We're getting bold now. I'm gonna invite you. I'm all for inviting people to church, by the way. Like, I would, it's good, right? I'm the pastor. It's a good thing, right? But I want to suggest that that's not evangelism. Evangelism is proclamation and presence. And when we get here, what we find is we find the posture of Jesus right here. Jesus sat with people. He ate meals with people. He was actually criticized for going to places that no one else would go, for eating with the sinners, for eating with the prostitutes, for eating with the tax collectors, for going out into the world and building relationships. And I hear people all the time say, isn't it amazing that Jesus wanted to meet with the sinners? I think what's even more amazing is that the sinners wanted to meet with Jesus. His proclamation of the good news was such good news that people that were far from God wanted what he had. And sometimes our proclamation of the good news doesn't sound like good news at all. The gospel is beautiful. It's unbelievable. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to achieve it. I don't have to accomplish anything. I don't have to measure up. There is a God who created me for a purpose, who, 
who created me in his image, who made me like him, who is transforming me to become more like him. And he looks at all of my mistakes, all of my worst moments, all of the ways that I failed where every single person out there would judge me for those moments. And he says, I love you. Come to me. I have paid the penalty for your sins. I want you to be in relationship with me. I love you and I have a plan and a purpose for you. That's incredibly good news, guys. We carry the greatest piece of good news in the history of the world, and we don't know how to tell the story. And so we cannot just simply sit around and say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just hang out, and I'm not going to really talk about things, and I'm going to hope something happens. We've got to proclaim the message of the good news. We also can't just shout at people and yell at people. We've got to be with them. We've got to be present with them. There are ministries that I started two years ago here in this community that are just now starting to bear fruit. Because we don't understand long obedience in the same direction. There are seeds that I've been planting for two years that I think are gonna, they're about to sprout. There are relationships that I've been investing in for two years without a ton of fruit. And I'm starting to see fruit in those relationships. It's because we just stay present with people. We just stay with them. People are not projects. People don't work on our timelines. People are not to be manipulated and turned. And, and our goal is not to get somebody to pray some magic Jesus prayer and cross a line. Our goal is to be with them and to disciple them and to teach them to know Jesus and to walk in his ways. So here, here, here's my, uh, you might be an evangelist if. All right, so let's, let's, let's throw this out. Let's walk through this stuff really quickly because I just spent a long time talking about that stuff. You might be an evangelist if you are a connector. You enjoy introducing people to each other, especially for strategic partnerships. Uh, evangelists often have large networks of relationships, both personally and professionally. They're naturally related, relate, relatable. They're often extroverted and they're often happy, which is a good thing. We need some happiness up in here, right? They typically enjoy spending time with people who are far from faith or marginalized in some way. They remind the church that there are still non-Christians who are out there and they urge us to do something about us. They are natural salespeople. So evangelists are the people that are always telling you that they had the greatest meal ever and you have to eat it. They don't just evangelize the good news of Jesus. They evangelize the good news of their favorite movie. They're the people that are telling you that Endgame was the greatest thing since Jesus, right? They're the people that are telling you that they had this salad, and you can't believe this salad is the greatest salad. It'll change your life. It'll transform your life. Like, they're always hype. They're somebody's hype man, right? So they're always hyping something. They're hyping a restaurant. They're hyping, like, a, a movie. They're, they're always telling you how great something is. They're always about the, this kind of natural sales kind of idea. They can't help but rally people to causes that they believe in. Here's what an immature evangelist does, though, because here's the goal. The goal of us is, is not to just know who we are, but it's to become mature in who God has called us to be, All right? So an immature evangelist, in their excitement to make connections with new people, they can neglect depth in their relationships and end up with a thousand shallow friendships. They allow their concern to reach the loss to push them towards bitterness towards the church and church people. They sometimes have this attitude of the church is not doing enough. 
Church is never doing enough. We got to do more. We got to be out. We got to be going. And so they become bitter and just come, become like constant critiquers of how the church isn't doing enough. They devalue discipleship and transformation in favor of getting people to involved and connected. They, flirt, they bounce back and forth from relationship to relationship, spending time with whoever is the most exciting and the most fun, rather than staying with the right people of peace for the time that God has called them to. So evangelists, so oftentimes one of the weaknesses of an evangelist or the immaturity of evangelists is you want a quick result, right? So we live in a really fast-acting culture, right? Downloadable, press the button, we got it. A lot of times evangelists don't understand long obedience in the same direction, so they'll, try, they'll hang out with you for a minute, and if they don't see transformation, they're on to the next and bouncing back and forth in those kinds of ways. Um, they can be a mile wide and an inch deep spiritually, an inch deep spiritually because they have trouble engaging in spiritual disciplines. It's easy for them to neglect meeting together because what we do in the church never feels quite as exciting as what they're doing with their non-Christian friends. Um, grace for an evangelist is this. We as a church need to listen to their insights about how we come across to non-believers. We need to pay attention to that. We need to legitimize their ministry outside the walls of the church and empower them and encourage them to go. We also need to empower them and encourage them to take some of us with them and teach us to do what they do. I got a friend that is the weirdest evangelist ever. I don't know if anybody's got this friend. But I got this pastor friend, and every time we go out to lunch, he shares his faith with whoever the waiter or waitress is. And sometimes he just does it in the most terrible way. I think I've told this story before, right? And I'm like, there is no way this is going to work. And it always works. Like, I don't know what, like, so we were, the, the first time I went out to eat with this dude, he's like, hey, let's get some pizza. And, and so I was like, great. So met him at the pizza place. This is in Ohio. Met him at the pizza place, and we're eating pizza, and the waitress comes up and says, can I get you guys some more water? And he was like, can I get you some living water? <laughs> no joke. This is what this dude said. And I sat up for my pizza like, boy, what, are you, like, what, what is this? This doesn't make any sense at all. And he, uh, and the lady, the girl was like, that's weird. Is that from the Bible? And he was like, yeah, let me tell you about Jesus. And then five minutes later, he's praying for her family and praying for like everything that's going on in her life and giving her a prophetic word and like this crazy kind of thing is going on. And, and so here's, here, here's what I did with that. I was like, what did you just do? Like, I need you to show me how to do that. Not as weird as what you did it, but I need you to like show me how to do that in a less weird way. Can you show me how to like, I want to be able to like every time, like every time I sit down at a table, I want to be able to share with our waiter or waitress. I want to be able to encourage. I want to be able to like show some kind of kindness. I think sometimes we think we're going to do the osmosis evangelism with the waiter. I'm going to leave a good tip and I'm going to say, God bless you at the end. And they're going to come to faith. That guy left a good tip. Praise Jesus, I'm coming to the cross, right? Like, I just don't know that it works that way. So what we need is we need our evangelists to train us. We need you to take us with us. We need you to, to, to show us some of your unconscious competency and connect us to what you're doing, like how that works. Um, we need you to make sure that you know that you're a valuable part of our community and you don't need to bring new people to our church to be loved or accepted. We don't need results from you. There's no, I, I'm gonna break it to everybody. No one has a quota this week, right? 
I release you from quotas, right? Like there is not a certain amount of, Bible doesn't say like each of you every week, three people, and if you don't, right? There, is, there are no verses that say that. It does say that we pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing and we walk in the Spirit and we recognize the voice of the Spirit and we recognize when we're sitting at the table and the Holy Spirit of God draws our attention to the waitress or the waiter, then we pay attention to that and we step into that. Evangelism is much more about paying attention to what God is doing than it is about reading a script and giving some kind of fancy presentation. Because when God is at work, what happens is we join him in what he's already doing. Evangelists, I love you, but you are not the bringers of Jesus into any situation. Jesus is always present and at work, and he's already working in every single person that you've met. So you don't bring him anywhere. You join him where he's already at work. God's already stirring. He's already moving. You're joining him in that place. Here's some truth for the evangelist. Evangelists need to embrace spiritual depth. It's, it's difficult for them to invest time and energy and to cultivate something over the long term. We need to help them understand what a mature evangelist looks like. We need to encourage them to bring others with them when they're out, out in, in the community. When they're sharing their faith, we need to invite, we need to say, we need to go with you. We need to, evangelists tend to win people to Jesus and drop them after they've, they've been converted. We need you to learn discipleship. We need you to stay with us. We need you to walk in long obedience in the same direction. And evangelists tend to be all over the place in terms of what God is calling them to do. We need to hold them accountable to follow through. If God asks you to go here, we need to hold you accountable to staying there and not bouncing out of it because it got difficult or because you're not getting the results that you wanted to get as quick as you wanted to get it. Um, uh, prophets pair really well with evangelists because prophets help evangelists discern the Holy Spirit of God and where the Spirit of God is working. Teachers help evangelists because they help evangelists clarify what God is doing and what God is saying. Teachers are always the ones that bring clarity to what we're doing. Shepherds and pastors are great with evangelists because they teach them to have the posture of Jesus and the heart of Jesus. So if you're an evangelist, you need those people in your life. You need a prophet to help you discern how the Spirit of God is moving. You need a pastor to help you love well, and you need a teacher to help you clarify. The thing that we've talked about throughout this whole series is we need each other. We all need each other. That's why the church is so beautiful. It couldn't hinge on one person or on one personality. That's one of the reasons why the American church, I think, is so broken is because we believe that there is a celebrity pastor out there who can do all of these things for us, and that's why 90% of pastors bail after five years of ministry because they're completely burnt out because I, you can't carry the weight of your whole community's spiritual journey, and when you try and do that, you can't do it. It's like a, a five-tool athlete, right? In baseball, you know what I'm talking about? In baseball, there's like a guy who can run, he can hit, he can throw, he can hit for, oh, hit for power, hit for average. I don't know what the other five is. There's something. They can do a lot of things. Catch the ball, right? There's lots of things that they can do. We think that all of our pastors are five-tool athletes, that they can do all this stuff. And the truth is, they can't. Like, we need the church. We need the community. We need to do these things Together, So I, I want to talk for just a minute, and I'm, I've already gone late, but I want to talk for just one minute about what this means for us, because I don't think that there is a more important thing that our church needs than evangelists right now. I think that if we have a weakness in the fivefold, it's in evangelism. 
How many of you, you took the test and evangelism showed up on the test? One or two? Raise those hands high. Everybody out there, we need you. We need you right now. We need you big time. And here's what I want to do. Uh, we, our church has nearly tripled in the last two years. So lots of growth over the last two years. And amazing things are happening. God is doing some really, really cool things. And so I want to ask a couple questions. And I want to ask not people to not be like our graduating seniors, but to actually be brave and raise your hand um, if what I say represents you, okay? And there's no shame or guilt in any of this. This is actually helpful for me to see. And I think it's going to be helpful for the rest of our church to see. So here, here's what I want to ask. How many of you have like you are OGs. You have been with Grace Marietta from the beginning. So from the, when, when we launched a house church, you have been here for three to four years with Grace Marietta. Raise those hands high. You all should be the most proud. Look at that. Well done. Thank you all for the investment that you've had in our community and for the way that you built it. Yeah. Uh, how many of you have come to the church in the last two years? A lot of people have come to the church in the last two years. Okay, out of those people that have come to the church in the last two years, how many of you were Christians before you got here? A lot of people. How many of you who have come in the last two years became a Christian here at Grace Marietta? Is anybody else feeling as uncomfortable as I am right now? I, I love it that y'all are here. Here's, here's my sad realization of a couple weeks ago. I think the church will continue to grow. I think we'll fill this place up every Sunday. And I think we can fill it up with a bunch of church people from Cobb County. And can I just be honest with you? That's not the church I want. I love y'all. We need you. But we need you not to fill a seat and to clock in on Sunday, we need you to go to the world and get the lost. We, there, there's, see, you see, there's aspirational values and there's lived out values. And I think a lot of our values right now are aspirational. So we've been praying for the last two years, and this is okay, right? It's okay. We're going to make it through this, right? It's going to be good. And God's going to bring the harvest. I'm convinced of this. I'm certain of it because he's bringing workers that are going to go out into the fields, right? That's what's going to happen. But we got to actually go into the fields. That's what's got to happen. So what, what I'm convinced of is that what God has done is he's brought us the right people at the right time, but we've got we've to start stepping out. So Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, shares his mission statement with the, with, with the church. He stands up in front of the um, uh, all of the people in his hometown, and he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recover the sight to the blind, to the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the favor of the Lord. He's called me to go from this place and proclaim to those who are lost the good news of Jesus. And sometimes our values are aspirational values rather than lived out values. So we can sit in here and talk about going into the community and feel good about the fact that we're talking about it all we want. We can give some money to other people that are doing things in the community that are good and feel good about the fact that we wrote a check. 
We can talk all we want about being a diverse church, about proclaiming the good news to the poor, about doing all of those things and feel really good that we're talking about it. It changes when we actually do something about it. And when these things move from aspirational values to lived out values is when we actually go. It's when we actually sit at the table of the poor. It's when we actually invite diversity into our life. It's when we build relationships. Every single holy moment I called out that happened yesterday in my life should be happening in all kinds of people's lives in Cobb County because we are being the church. I want us to find these moments where we're living our everyday life, where we're walking around and we look at what we're doing and we're like, this is the church. This is it. This meal, this holy moment, this conversation with my neighbor, this invitation to a dinner party, this whatever with the guy at work with me. Like all of these things become these holy moments where we go. But here's the reality, guys. If we're going to do that, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost you your comfort. We, we might have to start singing some songs that we don't like as much. We might have to start like doing some events that may not be for our kids, but are for the neighbor's kids. We're, we're building a park out here. That's, that's one of the next steps that's happening. And when we think about that park, I love y'all, but we're not building it for you. We're building it for the community. We're building it for the people who aren't in the seats already. Y'all can use it, but it's theirs, right? We're, we're, we're trying to figure out how do we do these things, but it does not happen until we come up with a plan in how we actually go and do this stuff. And so what I want to do today as we wrap up is I just want to pray because I believe that we need the spirit of God and the power of God in order for this stuff to happen. And I want our congregation to look really different in two years, three years, guys. I've been praying since day one I arrived here that we would see salvation come to this place, that we would see new life in Christ, that we would see chains broken, that we would see the good news proclaimed to the poor. I've been praying that our church does not look like me, that we have people of all socioeconomic backgrounds, that we all have people of all races and ethnicities, that we become a place where the Spirit of God is working and all of those things don't matter because we just want to be unified around the glory and the goodness of God and we want to do something together for Him. And I want to invite you to pray with us. And I want you to, I want you to know we need your visions and your plans. We need you reaching out. We need you teaching us. We need you training us. We need to be listeners, and we need to acknowledge that there is a weakness in our culture right now. Are you with me? And that's not a fun thing for me to acknowledge, but we need to acknowledge there is a weakness in our culture, and the only way this grows is if we follow the Spirit of God and the power of God to wherever he's leading. So I'm going to pray for that. The band's going to come, and we're going to come and take communion. And as you come to take communion today, as you take the, the bread and the juice of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, I want you to pray for somebody who you love who doesn't know him. I want you to pray for salvation. I want you to pray that they would come to know Jesus, and I want you to pray that the spirit of the living God would equip you and empower you and walk you out as you go out of these doors and become the church over the next week. So, Father God, we just pray that you would work. 
we just confess that we don't have this all figured out. And the church is growing and good things are happening, Lord, but we, we want more of you. We want more of your spirit. We want more of your power. We want new life and we need to go outside of these walls. And so I pray that you would give us tactical ways to go. I pray that you would teach us and train us and walk with us. I pray that you would lead us to the places that you called us to go. And I pray that your glory would be revealed as we go. So Spirit of God, we ask you, bring us the lost, Lord. Bring us the poor. Bring us the hurting. Bring us the broken. And when they come, Lord, teach us to love them the way that you love them. Teach us to serve the way that you serve. Teach us to care the way that you care. And we pray that you would do immeasurably more than we could ever hope for or imagine. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. You guys can come to the table and pray.